Open your scriptures to Matthew, uh, the book of Matthew chapter 28. If you want to follow along in the Pew Bibles provided for you, you can find that at page 706, page 706. Uh, well, I did want to just give you a, a bit of news. Uh, some of you may have heard uh, this past week, uh, but a, a member, Miss Karen Frazier, uh, who is battling muscular dystrophy uh, over the past um, 40 years, uh, went to be with the Lord uh, this past week. Uh, so be, be, in, be in prayer for uh, her mother, Betty, uh, and her sisters. Um, also, this coming Wednesday night, if you are free, we are going to be having a, uh, the, the, the director uh, of the Palmetto Pregnancy Center to come and share uh, with us. Uh, our Wednesday night service to help us understand how we can better support life, uh, support those who are in those crisis situations. You are welcome to attend there. We'll open up your copy of God's Word to Matthew 28. I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 20. I'll pray, and then we'll dig into the Word together. After the Sabbath, at the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going into the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he has said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the woman hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met him, met them, Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went to the city and reported to the chief priest everything that had happened. Then the chief priest had met with the elders and devised a plan. They gave the soldiers a large sum of money telling them, you are to say, his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Let's pray together. Great God, we thank you. Uh, for the opportunity and the privilege to gather before you. Father, we are a sinful people. We are a people of a rebellious heart. And yet while we were yet sinners, you demonstrated your love for us by dying for us. God, you would not leave us in our sins, but you came to rescue us. You gave yourself to purify 
us, to redeem us from all lawlessness and wickedness, that we may be your people. And you did that through your death, burial, and your resurrection. God, we thank you for the resurrection. We thank you that we serve a risen Savior. Whoever lives before the throne of God above, interceding for us, God, you are so good. God, I pray for the family of Karen Fraser. God, as they continue to grieve her loss, God, I pray that they, this Sunday, will be warmed and be encouraged uh, with the hope that's in the resurrection, that they may no longer have Karen come to them, but they will go to Karen uh, if they trust in Jesus. God, we also just uh, ask your hand uh, to be upon pastors in Rock Hill today. God, we pray for um, your men who stand before your people preaching your word. God, we pray that you fill them with your spirit, God. Father, we pray that you give them boldness to declare your truth. God, we pray, pray for, the, for the, the church in Rock Hill that their hearts would be softened today to hear and believe in your gospel. God, let this, let this day be a day of rejoicing and praise where you get all the glory. You are a great, awesome, and holy God, abounding in steadfast love. God, you are forgiving thousands upon thousands each day, those who come to you. So God, I pray today that you would give your grace to the people here. God, I pray that you would draw them to yourself by your Spirit. Father, we do pray for our nation. We pray specifically for um, our Supreme Court as they have big decisions uh, to make. God, we pray that they would be, their consciences would be constricted not only by the Constitution, but God, by your Spirit, by your Word, Father. God, we pray for a boldness uh, to make decisions that even may be unpopular in this land. Father, we ask now uh, for the preaching of your Word. We pray that you give it effectiveness, Lord. Father, I am just but a man uh, preaching to dying men. God, I pray that you would fill me with your Spirit, God, that life would happen here today, just that the power of, of Jesus Christ and his resurrection would be here in his spirit today, God, that I pray that you bring those who are dead here to life, those who are walking in darkness to the light of the glory of God. Father, I pray that my words will be, will be marked, will be marked by faithfulness to your scriptures. But above all, God, we pray you get the glory. This is not a day for us. This is ultimately a day for you, a day where you get all the glory. So pray, we pray, Lord, that your name would be magnified this day. We ask this in the name of our great Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, well, before I really dig into the message, can I just tell you that uh, you are an answer prayer. Um, we have been praying um, for this Sunday that we would have 150 people here. Um, it's a modest number, uh, but we've just been praying that. More than has been here in a long time, and by God's grace, we have over that. 170 of you are here today, and uh, that may not sound like much to some of you, uh, but those who have seen the, the darker days when the Lord has thinned this church out, uh, it's just a huge encouragement. Uh, so even those who are visiting, we want to thank you for coming. We really feel blessed to, to have you here. Uh, on January 1st, uh, 1863, uh, Abraham Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation. It states this, all persons held as slaves with any state or designed part of a state, the people whereof shall then be in rebellion against the United States, shall be then and henceforth forever free. In a time of war, President Lincoln made a proclamation to free all slaves living in the Confederate States. 
Lincoln made a proclamation to free the slaves. But words, as we know, without authority really mean nothing. Lincoln goes on in the proclamation and says this, "...shall be thenceforth and forever free, and the executive government of the United States, including the military and naval authority thereof, will recognize and maintain the freedom of such persons." And will do no act or acts to repress such persons or any of them in any efforts they make for their actual freedom. So Lincoln makes this proclamation and he backs it up with the United States military. His words weren't just going forth, they were going forth with the the weight and the authority of the United States government. Likewise, our Lord Jesus proclaimed our freedom from sin and death for all who would believe in him. But as we know, mere words do not make that proclamation a reality. The Lord had to do it through an act of war. Lincoln used the United States military. Our Lord Jesus used his very life, giving himself in death and defeating the devil. See, the God of the universe, who has all authority, raised Jesus Christ from the dead making freedom from sin and death not only a word-based idea, but a reality. Jesus Christ did not make a mere proclamation, but it was backed up with the authority of God in his resurrection. We come today to celebrate that resurrection, the hope that we have in the gospel. So I pray today that as as we think and as we reflect on this gospel, you will see where your hope truly lies. Christ has been raised. He is our hope. So this morning, we're going to look at three truths uh, that the Lord gives in his resurrection. So if you want to follow along in the bulletin provided for you, just flip on the back and um, we'll get started. That first point, Christ was raised as our hope. Christ was raised as our hope for a new future, for a new future. Let's go in into uh, Matthew 28, verse 1. After the Sabbath, at the dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. They were going there to prepare the body, to anoint the body with spices. And there was a violent earthquake. Before we go there, isn't it always interesting um, how all the Gospels have the same account of the women going to the tomb? In that day, women were not allowed to give testimony in court. Uh, So a lot of people think, well, the resurrection was just made up. If you were going to make this up, you would not have women go to the tomb because women were not trusted. Their opinion wasn't even valid in the court. Why would their opinion be valued according to our Lord? But I love it uh, because I think as it is then, as it is now, uh, women are the ones who who, who are the first to look to Jesus. Isn't that so true? Uh, I was just talking to one of our, our, our longtime members, Ted Carroll, and Ted told me, he said, uh, I came, became a Christian um, largely because of the faith and love of my wife. I saw her loving example. I saw how much she loved Jesus, and that brought me to Jesus. I'm sure if I asked many of you men here today, I know that many of you would be able to raise your hand with an amen and an amen because you were brought to the Lord by the love of a mother or the love of a wife. Which I would say this, men, I think that's a challenge to us 
to step up and, and be the men that God has called us to be. These women went looking for Jesus. They believed in him. And then we get to verse 2. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going into the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. So we have this earthquake and an angel. We know that the, that the Lord is behind nature, and we know that from um, Matthew twenty-seven fifty-one, that an earthquake happened at the death of Christ. It says, And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split apart. And then we see this earthquake here again. And we see this angel appeared. Now, it, it is a pet peeve of mine when we, we see angels portrayed in our culture that are chubby babies with wings or dressed as angels. Uh, that does not really invoke a biblical picture of an angel. Uh, notice what happened when these guards, the ones who probably helped execute Jesus, the ones who were standing guard to make sure nothing bad happened to this body, to make sure that no foul play was in order. These fearful men, verse 4, the guards were so afraid of him, they shook and became like dead men. I'm not sure if you've ever seen something like that, something so terrifying, something so powerful that you started to shake on the ground and then play dead. I don't get that from a chubby baby with wings. Just saying. These men were not weak and timid, but they were terrified. But notice what happens. This angel, the one who is terrifying these men, says to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are not looking for Jesus who was crucified, but you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. I think two things you can see there is that these women came looking for Jesus. So the angel of the Lord, the one that is terrifying, looked to these women and says, Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, for you came looking for Jesus who was crucified. They don't have to fear because they were looking for Jesus. But notice, he, he didn't speak to the guards. The angels didn't, didn't talk to the guards. You know why? Because the guards should be afraid. And we often, we often say we shouldn't be afraid. If you are in the presence of God, and this angel was invoking the glory of God in, in lightning and, and brightness, the same imagery that is used in the, in the transfiguration in Matthew chapter 17, when you see the glory of God, a sinful man should be terrified. But these women were looking for Jesus. So the angels looked at him and said, do not be afraid. You came looking for Jesus who was crucified, who was killed, who was buried. He is not here. He is risen. The greatest news in the history of the world. He is risen. This is why we celebrate Easter. This is why we, we rejoice in the glory of God in the, in the resurrection. He is risen. And I love this in verse 6. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. Jesus told people that I was going to die and be raised. He told people this. And the people didn't get it. They thought the Messiah. Um, hey, sweetie, can you just sit down? 
That was great. As he said, Jesus said, I'm going to die. I'm going to suffer. Then on the third day, I'm going to be raised. He told people this was going to happen, and it happened. Jesus is always true to his word. So what did this resurrection accomplish? Well, it gave us a new future. Everyone has certain events in their life that changes the course of their direction, that changes their future. Um, I, was, I grew up in Chicago, outside of Chicago. I played football there, and I got asked to play football in college in the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia. Good old Midwestern boy going to the big city of, of Philadelphia. Well, after Philadelphia, I got a job, and I'm working in Washington, D.C. And then my life changed because I met Ellen Crozier, and I, who became Ellen Crozier Keene, which eventually, by God's grace, brought me to Rock Hill, South Carolina. If you would have told me that I was a, a Midwestern boy growing up in Palatine, Illinois, that I would have ended up in Rock Hill, South Carolina, I would have said you were crazy. But God orchestrated certain events that changed the course of my future. That's exactly what the resurrection does. The resurrection changes our future. But it doesn't just change our future in this life. It changes our our final future. The default destination for all human beings is not heaven. The default place is not salvation. Now, if you talk to people in our culture, you say, well, how does someone get to heaven? Be a good person. As long as the good outweigh the bad and and you believe in your heart that, that that you could be saved, well, then you go to heaven. Heaven is whatever you want it to be. That's not true, beloved. The Bible says that those um, who don't have Jesus will be condemned. Jesus came not to condemn the world, but to save it. The world is already condemned. The world is already standing in condemnation. But God came and gave himself for you so that your salvation could be given to you. And it had to happen with a sacrifice. A penalty had to be paid. Jesus Christ died. His blood was spilled for the forgiveness of your sins. But if he doesn't be raised from the dead, your forgiveness is not there. Salvation is only in the resurrection because he did exactly what he said he was going to do. Die and be raised. The resurrection is not something we should think about just on Sunday, beloved. Just on Easter Sunday. It should affect everything in our life. A great verse of a song says, Bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned he stood, seated my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah. What a Savior. See, these women were looking for Jesus, and they saw that Jesus was risen and their life was forever changed. But as we know, that they, that's, that's hard to hear. <laughs> they, they, were, they, were, they were a little bit shaken. They were, look, look what happens in verse um, 7. The angel said, Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the woman hurried on away from the tomb, afraid and yet filled with joy ran to tell the disciples. I think that's a good picture of sometimes how Christians should be. Sometimes we should be afraid a little bit, but we should be filled with joy. There is joy in the Christian life. God has changed our future destination in his resurrection. Uh, The second point, Christ has raised 
which raises our hope for a new family, for a new family. So verse 8, the women run, they go to tell the disciples, and in verse 9, suddenly Jesus meets them. And what do they do? Greetings, says the risen Lord. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. They fell before Jesus and grabbed his feet, which tells you that Jesus was not a spiritual resurrection. It was a literal, bodily resurrection from the dead. Jesus was really dead, and he really came back to life. If he was not real, how could they grab his feet? It was a literal resurrection. That's important in our day, beloved. You know why? Because the world around us wants to dis- make you disbelieve that. Though that, that resurrection, that's just a myth. Or it's a spiritual resurrection. It didn't really happen. Beloved, the resurrection really did happen. Do not believe anybody who tells you differently. It's in the Bible. But not only did they see him and they, they touched him, they also worshipped him. Now, our culture uh, doesn't like Jesus being worshipped. They, they want to say, well, Jesus never said he was God. He only, he's only a good teacher. Jesus never made claims to be God. But Jesus, as a, as a devout Jew, when someone bows down to, to worship them, he would have said, get up. But Jesus didn't. Why? Because he really is God. He is God in the flesh. He is the one who's going to judge the living and the dead. He is the Savior of the world. They worshipped him. And then we see verse 10. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Now, I just love this. Jesus, the risen Savior, these, the, he, he says to his disciples, the disciples, mind you, who just rejected him, abandoned him when he was at his weakest moment, the ones who couldn't stay awake. What happens? He calls them my brothers. His disciples are his brothers, the same people who just abandoned him. We see this imagery also in Romans chapter 8, verse 28 and 29. And we know that those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. If Jesus Christ was not raised, there would be no church. But because he was raised, we are a family. We are a brotherhood. Listen as one scholar writes it this way. But now he calls his disciples brothers, the only such place in the Gospels, disclosing a keen psychological insight. Not only does he show himself as a loving and accepting those who abandon him, but he treats them as equals. In other words, they remain laborers with him in the work of the Father. Jesus is neither denying his uniqueness nor deifying the disciples, but he's portraying the church as a brotherhood that manifests more equality than hierarchy. God has not saved you, Christian, for yourself. God has saved you to be a blessing to 
others. And that's in the family of God, in the church. Can I just make an appeal to you, those who are visiting? I pray that if you're not part of a local church, that you get a part of one. Join us, right? Link arms with us. Join this fellowship. You know why? Because God commands you to be part of a family. You're not called to be on your own. You're called to be part of the family of God. Do it. Join us. Connect with us. Please. Now, what happens with families? You all have them. You know there's certain people in your family you don't like, right? They bother you. They annoy you. They they smell. Maybe in my family, right? If you join this church, guess what you're going to find? You're going to find people you don't like. You're going to find people who may smell, right? You're going to find people that even might make you feel uneasy. But you know what? They're your family because Jesus Christ died and rose again. So you love them. Because there's only two families in this world. There's God's family, and then there's everybody else. God's family, or biblically, Satan's family, from John chapter 8. But look, look, at, look at this family, the opposite family, in verse 11. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went to the city and reported to the chief priest everything that had happened. So these guards, who were terrified, what did they see? They saw a little glimpse of the glory of God. They saw an angel, and what happened? They were terrified. They saw this happen. They saw that the body was, was not in the tomb, that the angel was there. They reported to the chief priest. Now, when the chief priest had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report goes to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And the story has been wildly circulated among the Jews to this very day. It is always unfortunate that when you live in a culture where our leaders, the people who are leading our country, advocate lies. They believe in false truth um, and they are deceived. That's exactly what happens here. The religious leaders, the chief priests, they met with the elders and they came up with a lie. Why? The lie was going to play better at the polls. If they believed in the lie, they would have people like them more. They would hold on to their power. But not only did they use lies, they also used the world's currency. Money. Money talks. Isn't that what they say? I don't know. I don't have any. Just kidding. Maybe not. Anyway, so the, the, what, did, what happened? These soldiers, they saw the risen Savior, right? They saw this angel, and these people said, we're going to give you this money to tell a lie and to believe it. You know what they did? They took the money. I wonder how many people have gone away from the Lord by taking money, by taking that which is um, drawing them away from Christ. It says this in Second, 1 Timothy chapter 6, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is, the craving through this, it is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Now it's easy to look out there 
and to see how many people in our culture are against the Lord. Uh, I think one of the most well-funded movements in our culture is Planned Parenthood that is for the aborting of children, which is just wrong. It's murder. Um, you know, we, we preached on that a couple, a couple months ago. But I, I think that if we only look out there, we miss the point. How often is money an issue in the church? It's an issue in the church. People who want to hold the purse strings of the church, they want to give their money to certain things and, and not to other things because they use money as a power play, just like the chief priests and the elders did who were against Jesus. If you use money as a power play, you are on the other side of God. That is not the way the people of God should act. But it's not even those who are in the church. It's those who have, been, have wandered away because they, they want more stuff in their home. They want a bigger house, so they need to work more. And they abandon and neglect their families, and they abandon and neglect their responsibilities in the church. They neglect their salvation because of the love of money. Now, if that's you, it's not meant to shame you. It's meant to awaken you. Don't go after money. Don't live your life for money. That's not God's way. God wants you to be part of his family. Well, lastly, let's look at the last point. God has raised, was raised as our hope for a new function. God was raised as our hope for a new function. We go to verse 16. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. This is probably, they were probably told to go there by, um, by the women. Jesus probably had more of a conversation rather than just greetings, go tell the disciples. He probably told them specifically where to go. In the, the Gospel of Matthew, the, the mountain is always a picture of God's glory. So we, in chapter 5, we have the Sermon on the Mount. In chapter 17, we have the, the transconfiguration on the mountain. And now we have the Great Commission on the mountain. Verse 17, when they saw him, when the 11 disciples saw him, they worshipped him. Beloved, that should be the calling of all Christians. When we see Jesus, what should we do? Worship. We should worship him. But some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. See, God has given us a new plan in our life. Remember back in Matthew chapter 4, we looked at this in Luke chapter 4 a couple uh, months ago with this idea that Satan brought Jesus up to the top of the mountain and said, You see all the kingdoms of the world? I want to give them to you. All you have to do is bow down and worship me. So here at the end of the gospel, Jesus says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. I didn't have to worship Satan because the authority that you wanted to give me was not yours to give. It could only be given to me by God. And that had to die and be raised. So he's speaking from a place of authority here. And then he says these words, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Two ongoing commands, baptizing and teaching. Right? We baptize people, and then we teach them the things of God. We go and we make. Too often, the, the complaint against the traditional church, like yourself, is you don't care about people outside these walls. All we care about is, is ourselves, 
right? We want to we have a bigger, bigger sanctuary, bigger barns. But beloved, we need to go. We need to go and make disciples. We need to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And why do we do that? Because the one who's been risen from the dead, who has all authority in heaven and on earth, tells you to go. This is not just pastor speak. It says go share with the gospel, share the gospel with the lost. This is the Son of God who was raised from the dead. It says go and make disciples, baptizing and teaching. Let me just say this. If you're not part of a local church, an active part of a local church, I don't think you can fulfill this command. I don't think that you can obey the Great Commission. Because there's so many commands in the Scripture that only are tied to the local church. How do you celebrate the Lord's Supper outside of a local church? How do you celebrate baptism outside of a local church? How do you submit to leadership outside of a local church? How do you elect leaders outside the love of a local church? You can't do it. But we, 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 we want to, we kind of want to have our cake and eat it too. You know, we want the, the blessings of the local church, but we don't want the responsibilities. Beloved, let us not be a church like that. Let us embrace these responsibilities. Why? Because Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. That's why. All authority was given to him, and he says to us, go and make disciples. This is his plan. If you want to help people have a different future so they're not condemned to hell, he says, go and make disciples. Church, we are plan A. There is no plan B. We're it, right? God says, go and make disciples. But you know what? The beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ is that anything God asks you to do, He gives you the power to do it. Look at the end of this last sentence of this gospel. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. Or the end of a sermon, for that matter. Amen? Here's the deal. Jesus Christ, his presence is with us. It is with us, right? It is with us because he died and he rose again. And he ascended to the Father. And after he ascended to the Father, he gave us his Holy Spirit to live inside of us so we can fulfill this command. The reason why we don't go is because we don't believe that God will save. We don't believe because we think we're unqualified. I don't know what to say when I come, come to someone who doesn't know Jesus. He's with you. He's with you. And the reason why he's with you, because he, raised, he was raised from the dead. Our God is not dead. He is surely alive. Let's pray. Father, uh, I pray um, that we will just rejoice in what you have done for us in the cross and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. God, I pray for the people here. God, I pray that you'll help them believe that Christ is our hope for a new future, for a new family, for a new function. God, help our lives be radically transformed with the truth of the resurrection. Uh, We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.